Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. My name is Jason Marn. I'm your co-host tonight with my friend and former classmate at Hofstra Law School, Evan Mattel. What's going on, Evan? Hey, Jason. Yeah, guys, this is the Hofstra Law episode. Uh, this is like one generation to the next right now. So you guys are in for a treat here. Me and Jason have known each other pretty well outside of conduct. So, For some background, I was the president of Hofstra Law School's Sports and Entertainment Law Society when I was a 3L. So that was last year. And there's always a few students who you could tell are just very into sports law. They're committed and they're passionate about it. But then there's someone like Evan who stands out. So when we had our first introductory meeting, when I was the president, talking about the club and what it would entail, he stayed after, introduced himself, talked about his passions, and then kind of just kept up with the club so much and showed up so often that we actually created an e-board position just for him because he was so involved that we had to just formalize it and really bring him in. So I guess the takeaway is, you know, and that led to him joining Contact Detrimental and the Domino's Fall. So takeaway is, you know, if you, I didn't know a thing about his grades, his intelligence. All I knew was that he was passionate about the topic. And that was enough for me. And it's enough for a lot of employers who want to work with people who love what they do. So Evan is an example to take from all. Now let's get into some sports laws that you all are anticipating. Jason, just give you a quick shout out. Yeah, so all that stuff. Jason was the reason that I joined Conduct Detrimental in the first place as a, a contributor and then kind of took me under his wing, worked my way up to editor-in-chief now. And uh, yeah, Jason was a big part. I remember his speech at uh, the introductory session for law school where he said, if you want to get into sports law, you just got to start now. And, and that was first trigger for really starting to be active. So yeah, shout out, Jason. It's good to get on an episode with you. And yeah, let's dive into some sports law, man. What do you got first? Let's do it. So let's start with the Iceman. And that is Mr. George Gervin. He is the former 12-time ABA and NBA All-Star, known for his scoring prowess, you know, just a polarizing figure in basketball who could just light it up. One of the earliest, best scorers the game has seen. He filed a $2 million lawsuit against the global fashion brand Ralph Lauren. That was last Wednesday in the Southern District of New York. He's represented by a law firm called GS2 Law. Personally, outside of the lawsuit, is represented by an attorney, Michael Cloacy. So the suit is for... It really false endorsement, trademark infringement, and kind of abusing and commercializing Gervin's NIL without permission. One day, Gervin's wife is doing whatever she does, and she receives a text message. And it says, congrats on the Gervin Mid sneaker. And she's like, what is that? So the Gervin Mid sneaker is a sneaker made by Ralph Lauren, and it looks eerily similar to a sneaker that Mr. Gervin made popular during his playing career, which is the Nike Blazer. He was the first player to wear it on the court in 1973. And the sneaker that Ralph Loren put out looks pretty similar to the Nike Blazer. And it just happens to be called the Gervin Mid. So imagine yourself as George Gervin, you know, your wife is telling you what congrats on the shoe. Do you know about this? And he's like, they never contacted me. This is all according to the complaint. He says, they never contacted me. How are they putting a shoe out and I'm not getting any royalties on it? So this is classic NIL usage without consent. NIL has blown up in the college sphere, but it's been it's been around for as long as personality rights and the like has been around. So he's seeking $2 million in damages and an injunction to stop sales. So Evan, you might've seen the lawsuit. You might've read a bit about it. 
But have you seen the two sneakers? Do, do you think that they really look similar? Yeah, courtesy of you. I have seen plenty about the case. And, you know, that great Twitter thread you posted showed the two sneakers. And they look about as close as you can get without being uh, an identical pair. They are ridiculously similar. Just chucking the name Gervin on there, I think, is kind of the nail in the coffin. And I, I love the the reaction from the Ralph Lauren designer who said the name Gervin was only there because it sounded good. Quite the excuse they came up and they're still selling the baby size version with Gervin's name still on it. So, I mean, they are not going about this in the way I think is legally tight. I think they are uh, making some big mistakes here. That's not a very good excuse. Yeah, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. So when Gervin saw that the sneakers were out with his name on it, his attorney, Michael Clovis, he sent a cease and desist to Ralph Lauren, which brings up what you were referring to. Clovis and in-house counsel at Ralph Lauren had some discussions and Clovis said, how are you guys selling a shoe with my client's name on it? You haven't contacted him, you're not paying him. And allegedly Ralph Lauren said, hey, we this was a French designer. They don't know who George Gervin is. It's just a coincidence. It just sounded good. And I mean, no. I just don't buy it for a single second. I don't think anyone does. No, I could buy it if the shoes were just like a wild departure from Gervin's, you know, iconic shoes in the 70s. But the fact that it's also a near identical shoe, there's just no way. That's Coincidences happen, but not like that. So this is a really a fantastic case. I can't wait to read Ralph Lauren's answer if they try to explain unless they're just going to deny everything like some answers you see out there but really a fascinating case it's on a hot button issue so you know college students pay attention it's cool to see nil outside of just college also i think it's important yeah. that, hey, this exists you know outside of the ncaa right. you know it's funny people now almost exclusively associate nil with college athletes in the ncaa it's like oh yeah that's a college thing and I'm like, eh, it's prevalent in college because it's one way student athletes can make some money. But this is a concept that applies to so many walks of business with with celebrities and, and others who, you know, have their likeness used for commercial purposes. All right. Why don't we move to the Super Bowl losing Philadelphia Eagles, Evan? So I will take point on this one. Blog will be coming up soon from, you know, yours truly. So former Eagles captain Chris Moragos recently just won a huge lawsuit for medical malpractice against two orthopedic surgeons. He was given $43.5 million. That is a large sum of money. So the reason being is in 2017, Moragos tore his PCL. He underwent a advanced rehab program that was described as too hasty for and still showed a partial tear in his knee in 2018 with an MRI. This ultimately led to the premature end of his career in the NFL. And now he gets a $43.5 million reward because of it. So this to me is a huge case because we've seen some medical stuff here in the NFL currently that could lead to a premature end with uh, Tua Tagovailoa. He had, you know, they're calling it a back injury and two concussions. It was probably three concussions and being cleared on week four and then getting another concussion week five. If he were to retire, could we see another Morago suit from Tua? Well, that's really interesting. I guess the question is, you know, where was the negligence for Tua? Your argument is that in letting him play again, so it's kind of a different theory because in, in the Morago's case, it's more so improper treatment. Right. 
So then the Tua case would be more of a lack of treatment. Is that kind of the theory that, that you would advance? Yeah. So, so similar on the negligence side, but maybe more, yeah, more specific to the, maybe we knew that it was a concussion and we tried to get away with it type thing. Right. And if you want to talk about a damages model. So Miragos, the, the, he was awarded 43 and a half million and the career earnings were what? Uh, like one, $2 million. Yeah. Like, that was like a huge. Yeah, so, so obviously the damages expert and the medical experts must have been pretty convincing as to the use of his leg moving forward. And that this is probably something that they already will impact him the rest of his life. Because we're, we're no longer in the sphere of like trying to make him whole. If he played six more years, whatever the average was, he was, you know, he was a solid player. I think he played some special, he was like a really good special teams player and then a rotational defensive player. With that said, the damages that he was awarded clearly don't speak to the kind of player he was or the kind of career earnings we can project moving forward. So it, it's really interesting. And, and you can imagine what would it be for Tua if, if they, if a damages expert were to say, Hey, not only is he not going to get the contract that he would have made, which looking at these quarterbacks, what they're paid now yeah. and Tua's kind of career trajectory, it could have been huge. It could have been $300 million. And then how about a, a damages expert saying, or a medical expert saying, hey, he's also not going to have a functioning brain. Right, exactly. The way that the way that a healthy human has a functioning brain, it, you know, I can imagine that. Who's to say the damages there can't be, I want to throw out a crazy number, 500 million. Is yeah, that crazy? Ridiculous. And I do want to clarify, there is no rumor that Tua is going to do this. This is me speculating. His parents right. have come out and said he's going to play, but I will say he's been in concussion protocol since December. The last update we got was January 27th, and he was still in it. So we're looking at almost three months of concussion protocol when standard is like one to two weeks. So right. keep an eye on two. I don't think he's going to do this, but I mean, this is a wild case. And Michael Thomas came out, now deleted tweet, but he said, quote, right decision in regards to the Moragos cage. The NFL medical sucks. Cheap and uneducated, their job barely requires any education or curriculum, at least at some places I know. Wow. Scathing tweet. This is a key point, by the way, in that it wasn't an accident that Moragos didn't sue the Eagles and he didn't sue the NFL. The defendants are only the medical personnel that were involved in the treatment. And that's for a very key legal reason in that the team doctors for NFL teams are independent contractors. Right. There is no vicarious li liability theory to bring in the Eagles and to bring in the league. And it's tough to sue the team and the league because of labor law. So the Labor Management Relations Act kind of bars or preempts claims that are intertwined with the collective bargaining agreement. So the CBA of the NFL has an entire policy dealing with tort claims and sending them to arbitration. So, you know, you can kind of theorize why uh, Margos didn't sue the team and the league, but that likely plays a role. It's, it's similar to the case with Tyrod Taylor, where the Chargers team doctor punctured his lung because of negligent treatment. And that was in 2020. Yet his case, he, he had the same struggles. And it's that the labor laws will dictate how the collective bargaining applies or doesn't. Yeah. So I think that this is like a, a low key, like huge case for NFL and, you know, treatments now for players. I mean, I think it's always been kind of 
you know, under the radar, well-known that players are kind of rushed back from injuries to, you know, play. Players play through major injuries all the time. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this starts affecting that. Michael Thomas, don't tweet that because it's not an accurate statement. The NFL CBA has <clears throat> an extensive requirement to become a team doctor, and it involves, you know, your normal med school track plus years with previous teams and, and years in training camp and, and all that stuff. So, I get your frustration, MT. I know you've been on the sidelines for yourself quite a bit. You know, maybe we keep that inside instead of on Twitter. Who's to say he's getting improper care versus it's just a nagging injury? Exactly. It's probably the latter, but who knows? Let's move right along here to the baseball diamond. We had pitchers and catchers report, but one pitcher isn't reporting. Who would that be? Yeah, Mike Clevenger. Sunshine, I think, is his new nickname. And ironic now given the uh the recent news about him i'd probably take that nickname away tentatively we'll, we'll see if he's able to keep it so mike clevenger who just signed a one-year 12 million dollar contract with the chicago white Sox, pretty good pitcher he uh was excellent in cleveland suffered a major injury and kind of came back down to earth in san diego tough recovery process so this was kind of a prove it deal and that proven deal is now off to a tough start as he is facing allegations of domestic violence. So in an Instagram post on January this year, the mother of Clevenger's child posted a photo of marks on her body with accompanying words that kind of alleged that the injuries were from some heinous acts like hitting her and strangling her. And she even added that, and this is quote, she said, you really deserve hell. I've kept quiet now for almost a year, and you continue to covertly abuse your infant. She said that Clevenger threw chew spit on our baby. So these are really just disgusting allegations, if true, and, and you hate to see this. A guy that you thought was bubbly and outgoing and kind, and, you know, who knows? He, he still can be. I don't want to conclude anything here. These are all allegations, but really a stain on the, on the signing and the player. And it's interesting because the investigations into the domestic violence were already ongoing before the White Sox had signed him and during the negotiations. It's it's all secret information that per the CBA, the White Sox were not allowed to be disclosed of it during an ongoing investigation. So Evan, what, what are your thoughts about that in the, in the whole MLBPA process there? Yeah, I think that's tough for the White Sox. I know the owner came out and made a comment, you know, somewhere along the lines of we didn't know about it, but now he's here and we're going to, you know, deal with it the best way that we can. I think that's interesting that a player can kind of shelf that and then sign the deal and not have either some clause in the contract where that would be void or, yeah, you know, allow even just allow the team to do its due diligence. Maybe you don't have to disclose details, but at least, you know, say you know, we got this investigation going on for X charges, you know, that you should know about up front. So the White Sox aren't allowed to release Clevenger if that's something they were interested in doing during the investigation, but they can do it afterwards, regardless of how the investigation turns out. And, you know, a lot of this is kind of reminiscent of the Bauer situation. Yep. The commissioner's office could even put Clevenger on administrative leave, which would be a seven-day period, you know, for the, the investigation. But any longer stretch would need to be in coordination with the Players Association. So there are some options that could that could happen here. And the longer the investigation goes, really is where you may see some commissioner involvement and the White Sox trying to play out what their options are. 
Yeah. And Clevenger and his agent have been uh, pretty hush about this. His agent made a statement recently, uh, Seth Levinson, saying, we need to be fair and thoroughly protect our client and be respectful of the White Sox and the MLB. And we need time before responding, which I think is probably the right move. Let's dive into the facts. Let's see what's going on before we start making conclusions, because, you know, that's just the way the justice system rolls. And that's how it is here. So allegations, very gross, but we are innocent until proven guilty here. So you know, I hope all the best yeah. for, for Clevenger, the White Sox, and uh, his family. So I hope this all comes out on the right side of things. You know, we, I do hope. I agree. It comes out on the right side of things. But it seems to be only getting messier. Yeah. He, Clevenger just threatened a lawsuit against the radio station 670 to score in Chicago because they interviewed the domestic violence accuser. So this is Clevenger. He said, my lawyers are paying attention. My lawyers are getting in contact with them and they probably already sent a cease and desist for defamation. So they just got themselves involved in the suit. So good for them. And yet again, we have another defamation claim potentially surfacing. Dan Lusk just put out a clip talking about this and it's just unbelievable how many defamation claims in sports. I hate to say it's like the new trend, but it's really what we're dealing with here. You know, props to the lawyers, I guess, for doing their investigative work. And if you guys want to do your investigative work, and you guys are some betters and you want to get the good lines and make sure that all your information is on point, check out our friends over at Better Edge, Conduct Detrimentals. This episode is brought to you by Better Edge. They're good friends of the show. We uh, we know Conlon uses them quite a bit. Jason, you a big better? I'm, I'm a better. You know, I was in Texas. I was off it for a little bit. No betting down in Texas, but back in New York, you know, I'm getting ready to bet on the Champions League, getting ready to bet on the NBA's coming back soon. We got MLB coming up. What about you? You betting guy? Yeah, I'm a better. I can't lie. I'm a better for sure. I'm really only a live better, though. I don't bet pregame. I only bet live. If it's pregame, I may do like a prop. I only bet live when I'm watching the game. Because I feel like you can gain it. You can get an advantage over the book based on information you're seeing. You know, if if a player's cold or a player gets injured or you just sometimes I just have a feel. I don't know. You got the (laughs) guy. I may just be a. That may just be a really naive comment to make, but sometimes you just get a feel like, oh, this is the next kind of night where they're just going to blow this lead. So I'm yeah. going to bet on the Celtics live plus four. You know, oh, yeah. so that's there really a time where that bet made me a lot of money. Live bet the Knicks when they were winning and they'd end up losing. But yeah, maybe not so much these days. You hate to do it, but sometimes who knows that your favorite team better than you? You know. Exactly. Yeah. All right, let's shift gears here. Enough of the legal ease and, and legal stories. Let's have some fun. I want to talk NHL trade deadline. So I'm going to go down a list of players, kind of rapid fire here. And I'm going to give you my NHL trade deadline predictions. So just so any listeners out there can know the timeline I'm dealing with, this is Thursday. It's Thursday evening, the 23rd of February. And the trade deadline is on March 3rd at 3 p.m. Eastern time. So without further ado, here we go. I'm going to start with Jacob Chikrin out in Arizona. The defenseman has seemingly been on the trade deadline for years now. He's now been a healthy scratch for trade-related reasons. Three more years at an affordable $4.6 million, and he's a 24-year-old. So I'm going to say he's going to the Ottawa Senators. Young team rebuilding. I think that, you know, that's a piece that they can build around. Do you have a prediction for Jacob Chikrin? I don't know. He seems like kind of a, a guy who's, like you said, been on the deadline for a while you know, there's those guys in like the NBA, the MLB, where you're like, ah, oh, they got to move him. It makes no sense. You know, he's been sitting out. Something's got to give. I'll take the hot take and say he doesn't get moved again. I think he's just really? one of those guys that you think every every year you're like, ah, this is the year. He's got to go. 
and they just they just shelf. <laughs> this guy's going to be 35 years old as a healthy scratch for trade reasons, and he'll still be in Arizona. All right, moving right along, I'm going to the big fish currently left, and that is Timo Meyer. This guy is everything you could possibly want in a winger. Speed, size, and goal-scoring ability. He yep. really has it all. But with that said, he's not like an affordable long-term chicken. He's got this year, and then he's going to need $9, $10 million for the next seven years. With that said, I think he goes to Carolina. I think the Hurricanes are ready to make a big splash. They lost Pacioretty. He's on long-term IR. They lost Trocek in the offseason. They need a goal scorer. You know, a lot of people say the Devils are the favorite, and I could see that. But I think Carolina steps up and makes the move. They have the assets. Yeah, I was about to – you stole my thunder. I was about to say the Devils. Yeah, I think the Rangers and the Islanders are kind of flexing a little bit. You know, Tarasenko, Horvat. You know, they're kind of flexing a little bit, saying we're the best team in New York. And I think the Devils are going to be like, you know, hey, we're still around. We can make big moves. So I, I keep an eye on the Devils. I think he goes there. I think the Devils got to keep pace with the Islanders and the Rangers, who have been very active this deadline. All right, next one is – this one is just taking over Twitter. I'm going to preface this with saying that I am a Rangers fan, a very big one. Patrick Showtime Kane, the best American goal scorer of my generation. There's been these recent rumors that the Rangers all of a sudden are once again a fit. And I think their deadline cap space is projected to be like $950,000. And his salary for the year is $10 million. So prorated is probably around, you know, five, four, four million. But I don't see it happening. I'm saying he goes to the Dallas Stars. Yeah, I'm also a Rangers fan. And when this first got brought to my attention by one of my friends, I just dismissed it right away. I'm happy the Rangers are making moves, but I think this is just like an unnecessary ad because he's he's still a good goal scorer. He's a very big name, obviously. But yeah, I just don't see it being feasible. The cap hit is is so high compared to what's available right now. Um, I actually think he'll go to the Hurricanes. I think... Oh. Uh, this will be the Carolina's big ticket like acquisition in the offseason. They have an extra $7 million in injured reserve relief. So they got around $10 million in cap. If they wanted to make the move for them, they could they could make the, the funds work for sure. Yeah, money's no problem for Carolina. That's an interesting one. I don't know why I haven't heard anyone say Kane to Carolina. Like, why not? Well, I guess the reason is, is because Kane is a full new move clause. <clears throat> so I'm not sure he said whether he's amenable to going there. The Rangers, though, I think they're going to pick up a fourth-line center instead, so I predict they'll get either Nick Bustad, Nick Bonino, or Sam Lafferty. All right, so moving on. Now let's just do some quick rapid fires. I say Eric Carlson stays in San Jose. The $11.5 million he's owed through the 26-27 season is too steep for the acquiring and ascending team. You agree on that one? Yeah. I'm going to go Brock. Brock Besser to the Minnesota Wild. Hometown, they need some goal scoring, and they have the money. So the Bruins, this is interesting. I was going to say Vladislav Gavrikov to the Bruins from Columbus. But as we speak, I'm now seeing that the Capitals have held out Dmitry Orlov and Garnet Hathaway. It, it looks like the Bruins may be the acquiring team. What a huge move that would be. So this is breaking news as we speak. Yeah, the Bruins are already really good. I don't like to see them make moves, especially ones <laughs> good. So that is not good breaking news, I think, as a That is terrible breaking news yeah. as we speak. And now I am shivering because that is, could be the Rangers Eastern Conference Finals matchup. Wow, they're gonna get they're gonna pick up Orlov and Hathaway. That is an unbelievable pickup. Hathaway is a player I would have loved the Rangers to pick up. He's just tough as nails. He score goal, scores goals. He's a great player. All right. 
Two more players. I'm going to go Luke Shen to the Oilers and Max Domi to the Devils. All right, Evan. So now on March 3rd at 4.30, we need to circle back to this and see how many we hit on. Yeah. I think we'll be around 75%. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm not (laughs) the most knowledgeable hockey guy, but I have done – when deadlines come around in sports, I am all over it. Oh, yeah. Is there anything better than a trade deadline? Quick note about the Kane thing that I just saw. Apparently, NHL top insiders are reporting that – it's the Rangers or bust in Patrick Kane's mind. Whoa. So you brought up that no move clause. Whoa. There may be no move unless it's the Rangers. Are you kidding? That's breaking news. Who's the reporter? ESPN's Emily Kaplan. Emily Kaplan. Wow. So you, you heard it here first. Keep your eyes posted. It's Patrick Or should Kane, I say Rangers second. Or nowhere. That is huge news. We're going to have to follow that story. Oh, my God. Breaking news. Vince. Mercogliano, Rangers reporter, says the Rangers are playing with 11 forwards tonight. Teams typically play with 12 forwards. If you play with 11 forwards, that empty spot accrues more cap space. And he says something is brewing. Uh-oh. There's oh smoke. There's fire. Folks, folks, you're hearing this live. <laughs> folks, this is unbelievable. These are live reactions. Yeah, so I'm now about to read 10 Patrick Kane articles. Yeah, dive into the Patrick Kane rumors. Unbelievable. Evan, do you have anything else you would like to discuss today? I think, you know, those those stories we covered today are really interesting, something that we're going to follow and keep you guys updated on uh, as the cases progress. Uh, you know, I'm always on Twitter tweeting about cases as they happen, and I will continue to do that. Yeah, check out uh, Jason's Twitter at Jason under, underscore Morin. He has a great thread on the Gervin stuff if you, if you want to deep dive into that. He's constantly breaking sports law news, sending me stuff to break, so... Yeah, you guys know that the best information from comes from Conduct Detrimental. Shout out, Taryn. Great, great thread on the Brandon Miller stuff. Keep us posted, guys. We are, we're all over this stuff right now. And I also would like to say about Taryn, something that makes him such a good person is I saw an exchange where someone kind of quoted his, his tweet and said, hey, you know, you're concluding X, Y, and Z. How could you possibly say this? And Taryn's like, you know, I may be wrong or I may be right, but this is a Twitter thread. This is not the code, you know, he appreciated the input, was very civil. And I thought that was great because I think pushback is great. So some people approach it as if like they're preparing for like a head-to-head battle, but you know, pushback is awesome. But I would love to hear other people's uh, conflicting opinions. And I think Taryn would feel the same way based on his response. So that was great. And the Brandon Miller story is certainly one to follow at the forefront. Thanks for sitting with us, you know, another episode without Dan, but uh, we hope you guys enjoyed the little Hofstra episode. Like I said, Jason and I kind of go back a couple years, so really great to sit down and do this with him. And thanks for listening to another episode of Conduct Detrimental.